you're feeling all the levels of emotion and your body is going through the stress and fear response at all those levels. That is cortisol production, that's adrenaline production, that's tense muscles. So you're literally eating your system apart because of the swings. So if we can understand why the body's responding like that or how the body responds, it makes a lot more sense to say, okay, I need to get control of this because I might be getting sick consistently. I might have depression problems. I might not be able to sit in silence with myself. Like those are all key factors of high highs and low lows. Those are responses your body has based on too much stimulus, positive or negative. I think in order to understand composure, we have to understand how the brain operates, correct? I would say so because your brain is responsible for your responses in stressful situations where you have the ability to keep your composure or lose your shit. I.e. throw a log around the gym. <laughs> uh, if you don't know the temper tantrum that we are referring to, please see the previous episode. It's actually on my Instagram too. It's pretty good. <laughs> and go check out Chris's Instagram. I'll uh, upload the full video of me walking back and forth, throwing my hands in the air. No, you know what? D <laughs> DM Chris for that exclusive that's exclusive content. Exclusive content. <laughs> I'm Chris. And I'm Kylie. And this is Redefining Resilience. Where we explore what it means to build a resilient lifestyle. So you can thrive in any and every situation. So, just a reminder of where we're at. We're in the composure domain. So composure is your ability to stay calm and in control when facing stress or adversity. It helps you recognize and understand emotional reactions and allows you to respond quickly to regain your composure. So your limbic system is responsible for fight or flight responses. It reduces your higher level thinking, that strategic thinking, critical thinking, creative thinking. It reduces that or turns it off because it's not an essential function in that moment, according to your brain. Mm -hmm. And then it triggers short-term thinking. So it helps you think about what's right in front of you and how to get through this this current moment. So we're going to talk about those two parts of the brain throughout this episode. And just know that the limbic system is the impulsive brain. Your prefrontal cortex is the smart brain. So if we say prefrontal cortex or we say smart brain, they're the same thing. Same with limbic system and impulsive brain. So, Chris, when you think about somebody who has low composure, what would we perhaps observe in their behaviors? I think the one that makes the most sense to everybody is the guy that loses his shit when he gets cut off in traffic. Yep. Goes from zero to a thousand. And on the flip side of that, high composure, what would that look like? Um, assessing the situation, staying calm, taking all things in and not having your emotions reign uh, supreme in that situation. Yeah. So not throwing your hands in the air, just slowing down, changing lanes, moving on. Yeah, accepting the fact that traffic is part of the ride. Yeah, and just moving on. And... I think one important thing to point out, having high composure doesn't mean you're not affected by emotions, but you're better able to control them. Yeah. If you can take away one thing from this episode, that is it. 
So you're not going to go through this training. You're not going to hire us and we talk to you and work with you for X amount of time. And then all of a sudden you feel no emotions. No. Absolutely not. In fact, you'll probably feel all of them way more and you'll be able to label them. That's important. Yeah. So ultimately what we're talking about is handling stress. When we're stressed out, essentially our brain talks to our body and releases these hormones cortisol and adrenaline that are responsible for stress responses. And what are those stress responses? So, Chris, when you're stressed out, like, what happens to your body for you personally? Because everybody is affected differently. Uh, My breath gets shorter and quicker. Heart rate goes up, start to sweat a little bit. I can feel my lower back get real tight. My shoulders will pull up. If you look at us as cavemen back in the day, we would raise our shoulders to protect our neck during any kind of conflict because your neck is the most sensitive portion. I mean, it controls everything. You lose your noggin, cut your neck, you're done. You can take multiple blows to the body and be fine. So we'd raise our shoulders to protect our neck. And that's just natural for us to do that. So signs of stress, you might have difficulty speaking. So think about right before you have to give a big presentation and it's like the words just are not coming out. It's because you're stressed. Or when you get really angry and you can't formulate words to argue with somebody. Yeah, and then afterwards. It becomes a stuttered bunch of nonsense. Yeah, and afterwards you think about all the things you should have said. Dryness of the mouth. You might have shaky hands, sweating, heart rate increases, flush skin, and tense muscles. So... We had a situation not too long ago. We were out shopping and I used my debit card and the transaction got declined. And immediately I felt my face get so hot. It was ruby red. It was. I mean, Chris was there. He saw me and immediately was like, it's okay. It's okay. And it's not that I didn't have money in my account. It just, the bank blocked me because this was an expensive purchase and they have a limit, I guess, on how much I can spend. But I immediately went into panic mode because mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I usually don't have to worry about money situations or things like this. And so it really caught me off guard and I felt my face immediately get hot and I couldn't think about what to do next. I tried to log into my bank app and the internet wasn't working. I had no service. And I was just so, one, embarrassed and two, embarrassed because I was embarrassed and you could clearly tell because my face felt so hot that I knew it had to be tomato red. Which is really interesting, right? Your emotions in that instance changed your physical ability to rationalize. You could not make a otherwise very simple decision to say, well, I don't have service, so is there Wi-Fi? That would have been the next natural progression through any of the situations in any other any other time. If my brain was working correctly, which I couldn't access that part of my brain to do critical thinking. Which leads us to what I think is the most impressive part about our brain and the thing we can learn to control that gives you the most change in your in your life. It helped me the most. It's the switch between your prefrontal cortex and your limbic system. Yeah. 
Since you're way smarter than I am, I'll let you uh, dig a little deeper into that. (laughs) So a part of our brain, the limbic system, is our impulsive brain. So it is responsible for detecting threats, which we absolutely need. You may think, oh, why do we even have this function in our brain? Well, it's to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. Our body is a defense mechanism. It's purely a defense mechanism. It just tries to keep us away from pain. That's why we grow in the gym. That's why when we put certain food in our body, we respond a certain way. It is just trying to protect itself. What's interesting is when the limbic system is activated, it shuts down the other parts of our brain that it views as as wasteful or not the most important to keep functioning. But here's why. That sounds silly. If there is something running at me, say a car or a tiger, I don't have time to sit there and rationalize my escape route. I just got to get the fuck out of there. You don't have time to put together a strategic plan on how to escape a... You just don't. So, <laughs> like, you just are forced to respond, so your body just does it. Mm-hmm. That's why when people go through near-death experiences, they don't remember any of it. Because their body is not in calculation mode. Their body is in response and protect mode. It is pure limbic system. So if you go back to the incident where my card got declined, my limbic system was activated and I couldn't tap into any kind of critical thinking skills because that's located in the smart brain or the prefrontal cortex. And it took two seconds to fix once you got Wi-Fi. It was just over. Yeah. And the interesting part about it was that... My body responded as if I was, like, face-to-face with a grizzly bear. My hands were shaking, too. I got real sweaty. I mean, all of the things happened that we're talking about. And it was over something so stupid, right? It's because it's built to. (laughs) It's not a silly response. It's a response built over millions of years of reactions to things. The people that didn't have the limbic system response died. So the only people that bred were the people with the limbic system response that allowed them to stay alive. Yep, because it protected them. It is there to protect us. Think about if you are, let's rewind time, hundreds of years ago when our ancestors were sleeping in caves and, you know, very uh much a part of wilderness, right? You hear in the middle of the night a rustle in the leaves nearby. Your limbic system is immediately going to be triggered and it's it's a subconscious response because your brain is looking for danger. It's like Alexa listening for her name. <laughs> your limbic system is like danger just waiting to be triggered and it sounds off the alarm bells and immediately your body is flooded with adrenaline and cortisol. So that you can figure out, okay, was that just a lizard walking around or is that a mountain lion about to eat me? So when you're ever in danger, your body categorizes the danger in its brain as here is this response. Here's this thing that happened, the rustle in the leaves. And the amount of leaves being rustled, the volume of being rustled, the speed of it being rustled, all goes through the system super, super fast so it can conceptualize the potential danger. That's why when a bunny rustling the leaves, 
when you're at in a campsite doesn't get everybody upset. But if there's like huge thudding footsteps and a lot of leaves moving around, it's very clear that something's very big moving towards you because your brain is putting all those pieces together as fast as it can. And your, your limbic system is deciding whether or not it needs to take over. So it's utilizing the rest of your brain as fast as possible in order to remove it and go. It's why when I was younger, my bedroom was right next to the kitchen. And every time the dang ice maker would dump (laughs) a load of ice into the tray, I was convinced that there were burglars. Every time I'd wake my dad up and be like, Dad, there's a burglar. That was my reality at the time because I didn't know any better. And then my dad would go secure the perimeter of the entire house, inside and outside, because I wouldn't be able to sleep until the entire security check was performed. And after that, he'd be like, all right, I think it was the ice maker. Or he'd say it was house noises. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. But I don't think that would make me any more comfortable as a right. child. <laughs> It's just a creepy fucking house around you. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I didn't learn that from anywhere. It's just been hardwired into my brain because that's the function of that part of our brain. Now, the problem is that we are treating everyday, very basic scenarios as if we're face-to-face with the grizzly bear. Our brain is not distinguishing between actual threat and perceived threat. And our responses when stressed are fight, flight, or freeze. So fight is, I'm going to kick this grizzly bear's ass. Flight is, I'm going to run from this grizzly bear as fast as I possibly can and pray that it trips or falls into a manhole. And then freeze is, I'm going to sit here and pretend I'm dead and hope that this bear doesn't find out that I have a pulse. Well, I don't even think it's it's to the point that you're making the decision, right? I think it's it's freeze because you're overloaded. Your body only freezes because it's it's so overloaded with the amount of information that it's receiving that it doesn't know how to do anything with it. So everything operates on data. Your body's just accumulating information every moment you're awake and it gives it boundaries for decision-making processes. And when something's outside of that or the stimulus is right on the edge for an extended amount of time, you end up in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Your body chooses that based on the quickest way to stay safe. The cool part is you can train it, though. That's where I think we're, we're going with all this. So all the examples of the limbic system taking over are obviously being chased by a bear or whatever. It's just far end of the spectrum. But realistically, it's the same chemical response going on in our brain and in our body. 100%. So even though we're not being chased by the bear, it's the same hormones being released in our body as if that is happening. But what a waste of energy because we're not actually being confronted by a bear, but our bodies think we are. And imagine how much of a toll that would take on us if that's our default response over and over and over and over again. High adrenaline, high cortisol, freeze, flight. And we know, do it all the time. Intense. And we do it all the time throughout our day. 
I can't tell you how many times I would just be cussing out cars around me while I was driving in traffic. Like, why am I cussing at these cars that can't even hear me? It's just wasted negative energy that I'm expelling on something that doesn't matter and I can't change. I can't control the traffic that I'm in. But here I am having this like fight response where I'm ready to go beat up the Kia in front of me when really that Kia didn't do anything. They're just stuck in traffic just like I am. And here we are internalizing this as a threat when really it's part of life. Like it's a very basic part of life. And even let's say I get an email from my boss saying, hey, I want to meet with you tomorrow at 8 a.m. It's important. Your response is immediately, I mean, if you're like me. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. What I do? Am I in trouble? Am I going to get fired? It, your threat detection system is on high alert mm -hmm. because this is something that is outside of the norm, right? When realistically, maybe I'm getting a promotion. Maybe I'm getting a raise. Or at the end of the day, maybe you are getting in trouble, so, like, what is the benefit of dumping all of this emotion over something that hasn't even happened yet? That's the key because our brain doesn't recognize what's real and what's imagined. So me even thinking about getting fired, I am flooding my body with the emotions that come with getting shit canned oh. as if it's actually happening and it's not even a real scenario. Just imagine the emotional whiplash, though, what you're asking your brain to go through and your body to handle. If you think you're getting fired, spend 24 hours thinking you're getting fired, go in and get a promotion. You went from <laughs> pure dread to pure excitement. You, that is a yeah. massive swing. And if you want to talk about building a set of patterns that produce depression, that's it. High highs and super low lows. Yep. Because you cannot maintain the swing. And the problem is the higher your high, the lower your low. Everything works in balance. And it has to. If it did not, the world would not exist. Everything is in balance. And the average, right, if we were to map these out on some kind of chart, right, and let's say your high high is a level 10 and your low low is a negative 10, well, your baseline is still an average. But now, if let's say your high highs were a plus two and your low lows were a minus two, that is far less of a drastic swing and and far less emotional whiplash. So it's because you don't just show up at the number, right? You're not a positive 10 and then all of a sudden a negative 10. You're nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero, negative one, negative two. You're going through all of that. You might go through it really fast, but you're feeling all the levels of emotion and your body is going through the stress and fear response at all those levels. That is cortisol production, that's adrenaline production, that's tense muscles, that's your body saying, I can't consume food right now because I'm in panic mode. And if I'm heavy and sluggish and all my blood is in my gut trying to process food, I will die because I can't put all the blood in the muscles to make sure I can get the fuck out of there. So you're literally eating your system apart because of the swings. So if we can understand like why the body's responding like that or how the body responds, it makes a lot more sense to say, okay, I need to get control of this because I might be getting sick consistently. I might have depression problems. I might not be able to sit in silence with myself. Like those are all key factors of high highs and low lows. Those are responses your body has 
based on too much stimulus, positive or negative. And you may think like, oh, so does that mean we can't celebrate good stuff anymore? No, but just know that even when you celebrate the good stuff, it's it's a temporary feeling, right? It's going to be fleeting. So if you can maintain that baseline as close to zero as you possibly can, you're not going to get all of these dramatic hormone irregularities all the time, right? This is exactly what regulation means, emotional regulation. It's going from the crazy roller coaster ride of a positive 10 and a negative 10 to, all right, now I'm on the kitty coaster and I might have a positive two or a positive three and then like a negative two or a negative three on the low swings. So a great example, I think, is winning an event or a competition or a game. You're you're not going to not be happy, especially if you had to struggle to get there, right? You're, you're going to be excited. But if you understand that this moment is this moment and soak it up, have a good time. But once this moment is gone, you're no longer a winner. You still are on the journey. Even if it's the last game you ever play, you're still part of the journey, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you aren't dead. This isn't it. I think when we correlate achievements and financial success and titles or things as the end-all be-all, the arrival fallacy, we get super depressed because we are expecting to end on this high, reach this high, and maintain the high. That was really (laughs) hard for me to handle when I first started competing because I would win something and I'm like, fuck, this is the greatest thing ever. And I'd leave and I'm like, well, I'm still the same guy. Still have the same lifts, still have the same troubles, still have the same problems. I just have a cool trophy. All right, Kylie, so why does this matter? If you have chronic stress over a long period of time, you weaken your immune system, you increase the fat around your waist, you start to break down muscle and bone, and it drains your energy, which can lead to fatigue, depression, or anxiety. So cue all the mental health issues that we've all probably experienced at one point or another in our lives And it's because of the stress hormones being in our body continuously over time. So this is where consciously training your brain to use top-down functioning, meaning top is your prefrontal cortex or that smart brain, using that part of your brain to override some of those default systems. So think of your limbic system as your car being on autopilot. Well, no matter how great the Tesla is, you still need to have an alert driver being able to override the system when it's not making good decisions because it's not used to some anomaly or a kid with a ball that popped out into the middle of the road. You still need somebody there to slam on the brakes and say, hold on, we're in danger And we need to think about this. I need a human to override this system, right? So this is where prefrontal cortex comes in. And we can actually override the limbic system. You know, in the the car, when you're stressed out about the traffic, you can just take a few deep breaths and say, all right, I can't control this. Let me turn on a good podcast, i.e. redefining resilience. (laughs) 
and just enjoy the ride. <laughs> this episode specifically. Yeah, this one. So I want to <laughs> dig into something real quick. You mentioned breathing techniques. Mm-hmm. Breathing techniques sound campy and kind of woo-woo, but here's why they work. What is the number one thing that happens to people when they get upset or frustrated or excited? They breathe quicker. The reason why you're doing that is because you need oxygen in your bloodstream to create contractions to move. So if your body's saying, hey, listen, I have to get the fuck out of here, it's prepping your system to get out of there. Once you realize that system's happening and you say, okay, breathe in through the nose four seconds, hold four seconds, out four seconds, hold four seconds, you're telling your body to chill out. You're saying, listen, I'm in control. I don't need you limbic system. I'm not in fight or flight mode. I'm not in danger because you're taking the normal process and physically putting it back in. And your brain goes, all right, I don't need that right now. I don't need to get the hell out of here. I need to rationalize what's happening and I can protect myself through my basic functions. I'm not being chased by a tiger. Yeah. Basically says, hey, (laughs) we can turn off the alarm. So our smart brain, that prefrontal cortex that we're talking about, is responsible for complex problem solving. It controls the impulsive brain and it needs tools and training. Which is why you're listening to this podcast. Well, it needs experiences, right? You don't understand what's written in a book until you read the book. Right. So... All you're doing when you train it, i.e. read things, listen to this podcast, learn, develop, change, is feeding your body's ability to rationalize through situations in the future. And most of the time, that's the part of the brain that we want to be using. If you are constantly stressed out at work, you're not going to be doing your best critical thinking and problem solving and using your resources and thinking about, okay, how could I go about figuring this out? Well, it's not because you're stupid, right? I think that's the biggest issue with people when they start getting into this. It's like, well, I'm panicked. And when I get panicked, I can't make decisions. So I must be stupid. No, you've literally shut off three quarters of your noggin. You're only functioning with basic functions. You're just underutilizing parts of your brain. And the great part is because of neuroplasticity, we have the ability to change how our brain operates. So do you have any examples of you understanding the switch, like an aha moment of, all right, I understand this now, how to stop the limbic system response? Yes. So recently I gave a talk at a company and there were probably, I don't know, 40 people in the room. So nothing crazy. But it was like five minutes before I was about to present and I could feel my hands getting clammy. I could feel my breath getting shorter, shallower. My body was cold and I I started to like freeze up and think like, oh God, what if I start this off and it's terrible. Like what if it's, what if I'm awkward, right? I start thinking about how this could go wrong and I immediately was like, all right, deep breaths and went into deep breathing, the four by four breathing that you talked about just now, calm myself down and just relaxed. And I visualized 
the entire talk going phenomenally. Everybody engaged, asking questions, interested, leaning forward. Like I, I visualized the entire scenario going flawlessly. And I immediately calmed down. I was excited to get into the presentation. I was excited to hear how they were connecting dots. And I stopped focusing on me and turned my focus over to what a successful outcome was going to look like. So one of the coolest things you talk about is the neural pathways in your, your noggin. I want you to dig into that a little bit because you went from anxious to excited. Yeah. The neural pathways in our brain are essentially the highways that our neurons take when they're communicating with our body. And if you think of these pathways as a snow hill, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast already, so I won't go into too much detail, but when you go sledding down a hill and you are constantly starting at the same place, you're going to go down the same path because the snow starts to pack in. And then you start to get a little bit of a barrier between your path and the rest of the untouched snow. And when you start to keep digging in and going down the same path, just like in your brain, we start to get comfortable and create automatic pathways or responses to the same stimulus. So unless I consciously tell myself, hey, we've got to do something different here or you're going to suck in this presentation. You're going to be sweaty and fumble your words and you're going to be awkward. And like all these things are likely going to be true because I am not able to tap into my prefrontal cortex, my smart brain. I need my smart brain when I'm speaking in front of a group of people. I have to be using my prefrontal cortex in order to adapt and be agile in that presentation and respond to questions. You know, at the end of it, when they were asking me a bunch of questions, if I was in panic mode, I would not know how to answer those questions. I wouldn't be able to process what they're saying and come up with a good, logical, helpful answer if I'm not accessing that part of my brain. Because the limbic system doesn't need me to be thinking critically in order to get the hell out of that room, which is what the limbic brain is going to tell me to do. So the cool part is we can train our brains. Kylie, what are some ways we can train it to increase our composure? So first tip would be ask for more information. Right. Instead of going down the limbic system spiral of worst case scenario, filling in the details when we don't have enough information, instead of assuming I'm going to get fired, I'm going to ask my boss for more information on what we're discussing. Right. So ask for more information. So what you're telling me is that limbic system response can generally be overridden by communication. The more you understand about the situation and the communication that's happening, the better you can rationalize it. Exactly. You just need more information sometimes. Another tool you can use is distinguishing mountains from molehills. And I think they go hand in hand because sometimes you may think you've been presented with a mountain and really it is a molehill. And once you get the additional information, you realize, okay, this isn't that big of a deal, right? So getting clarification on the boss meeting at 8 a.m., 
well, now I know this is, I'm not getting fired so I can chill out. They want to talk about how the Lost Project went. Okay, great. That's easy. This is no big deal. Another example of this, I was going to yoga class like years ago and I was running super late and I called the yoga studio and I'm like, hey, I'm running super late. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be like five minutes late. And I get there and I literally was running through the parking lot, walking in. I was afraid I was going to have to like put my mat in the front row and everybody was going to be watching me and staring at me as I walked in tardy and I'm going to upset everybody. I'm telling you. Stop laughing. Tardy. I was tardy for the party. And everybody was going to be staring at me. And I was panting, sweating. I walk in there. I'm like discombobulated. AF. And the lady behind the counter who was the yoga instructor. So she wasn't even in the room yet. She was like, hey, take a deep breath. And she actually took a deep breath and made me do it with her. And immediately I was like, <sighs> she's like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. You came here to relax. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, shit, you're right. She's like, you'll get here when you get here. This is not a problem. And it was at that moment I was like, why did I make such a big deal about this? This was nothing. But I felt like it was life or death that I was going to be walking into this room and I was just going to have like tomatoes thrown at me or something because I was disruptive. And it's just not realistic. I made that a mountain and it was barely a molehill. Another thing we can do is zoom out and gain perspective. Right? Think about the bigger picture. Emma, our high schooler, if she gets a bad grade on one paper, you know, it's catastrophic. Mm -hmm. She's such a smart kid and straight-A student, and she hasn't ever thought this, but hypothetically, let's say, Emma's like, I got to see on this paper, and now I'm not going to get into college. Like, one thing equated to the other, but that's not realistic, right? Zooming out and saying, okay, how much of your grade is this actually worth? Well, 2%. Okay. Can you make this up somewhere else? Yeah, we have extra credit coming. Okay, great. Sounds like this is no big deal whatsoever. But when you're in that response, that fight-or-flight mode, you are unable to rationalize based on reality. You cannot do any reality testing. Yeah. It's impossible. Because you're you're lost. You're stuck in the emotional moment right there. The C on the paper is the only thing that matters. The next thing we can do is label our emotions. So let's say Emma had a bad grade. We say, okay, how are you feeling? And let's say she said, depressed, this is the end of the world. Okay, is it really depressing? Well, no, I'm just disappointed because I I studied hard or I worked really hard on this paper and I thought I was going to get a good grade. Or she may say, well, no, I'm not really that upset about it because I missed school, you know, two days before it was due, so I rushed to get it done. So, you know, it is what it is. Okay, now we just went from depressed and it's the end of the world to I'm a little disappointed. And shit, which which one's easier to manage? Right, little depression, yeah, <laughs> or you know, falling off the face of the earth, or 
Okay, I can see how this happened. That that sucks. Yeah, so labeling the emotions is step one. And step two is reappraisal, which is shifting from, okay, this is depressing in the end of the world to, I'm slightly disappointed. Reappraisal is reassigning a different feeling to maybe a more intense feeling that immediately pops up but really isn't reality. So we'll talk about reappraisal in another episode. We'll get really deep into that. But just know that this is a tool that you have to leverage in situations like this that are stressful. So it's not only communication with others. It's communication with yourself. Communication with yourself is arguably the most important. I'm not going to lie. This stuff's awesome. I'm getting excited. (laughs) You can't communicate with others unless you're communicating with yourself correctly. Some other things you can do. Breath work, as we mentioned earlier, going for a walk, sleeping on it, whatever it is, just go to bed, deal with it tomorrow after you've had some time to process. So just to be clear, we have not, nor will we ever, say ignoring the situation is a good way to deal with it. When she says sleeping on it, it means take a long time to process, Mm -hmm. work through all of it. Don't make emotional-based decisions. Work through it. We tend to be far more emotional and less regulated when we're tired. So sleeping on it just allows your brain to rest and repair so that you wake up the next day with more of a clear head and ability to tap into your smart brain is really all we're doing. And then looking for the learning opportunity in the situation. One of the mantras that I always repeat to myself is the losses are lessons. So when I lose at something, like if I lose a client, this is a great opportunity for me to find a new client that I am excited about. I don't look at losing a client ever as a bad thing, but a lot of times we think, oh, that's lost revenue. Well, it is, but what if... Somebody gave you the choice of making $1,000 a month or $5,000 a month. You'd probably go with the $5,000 a month. You have no idea what losing $1,000 a month is going to gain you, right? So if I constantly am thinking, oh, there it goes, there goes my revenue, I'm going to be focused on the wrong thing instead of saying, you know what, that cleared up some space in my calendar and now I have room to take on a bigger client. And then the last thing that we would suggest is whatever you're debating, test it against your goals and your values. If you're dealing with, let's say, a difficult client, go back to your goals and your values because the solution may be, well, I need to fire this client because maybe they aren't operating with integrity and I'm having zero fun having to deal with them. My two core values integrity and fun. And if both of those buttons are being pushed, well, this decision got a lot easier. And instead of me stressing out every time I have a situation with that client, I can be at peace saying, you know what, I don't think this is an impactful arrangement any longer. Well, you can make better decisions and you can be okay with change. The more you communicate with your clients, the more open you are, the more I know about my personal training clients, or my mindset clients and what's going on in their life, I can see 
that they're probably not going to make it past X point and we can talk about it. I lost a client not too long ago because I watched his life unravel. He was very honest with me about it, what was going on in his life, what was going on with his kids, his family, his job. I knew all of it. And I would tell him, listen, this is going to get real hard and you're going to want to quit. When this starts popping off, you're going to want to stop. And what happened? He struggled, but he stopped. I knew he would because life just got too heavy. But I was not taken by surprise. I knew it was going to happen. In fact, he stayed on longer than I thought he would. So if I didn't have communication developed and open with him, it would have taken me by surprise. But because I did, I was prepared. I didn't like it. I didn't want to lose the client, but I knew what was happening. So I was never in like a fight or flight response. Yeah, you were thinking about it rationally, right? And not denying the fact that something stressful could be happening. You accepted it and figured out, okay, how am I going to move forward from here? What's a productive way to handle this? You could internalize that and think, oh, it's because I'm not good enough or it's because whatever, fill in the blank and blame yourself like a lot of people do. You can just say circumstances weren't ideal. Now I have room in my schedule for a new client. Awesome. I think it's real important to, to understand that this is up to you. This is not external factors only. If your job is stressful... The response to the stress is your responsibility. No matter what anybody says to you or what situation in life you're in, your response is your responsibility. That can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes. I know that things will happen to me and I'm like, well, fuck, I am responsible for this, aren't I? And it sounds intimidating up front, but it's the most freeing thing you'll ever understand. Once you understand you are in control of you, you are the one saving you, it's okay. Life becomes a little bit more manageable. Thanks for listening to Redefining Resilience. To learn more about building your mental and physical readiness, check out odysseyresilience.org. And follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And they lived happily ever after.